Hey guys, it's Shell, and I'm going to be really quick because this segment that you're about to listen to is about an hour long. It is the story of George Hughes and the Sherman Riot of 1930. I have a great panel of guests that you guys are going to be listening to, and it's it's just a story that needs to be told. So go ahead, sit down, relax. It's Podcast Sunday, and tune in to the story of George Hughes and the Sherman Riot of 1930. Hey guys, it's Shell rolling with this community. And I am the mouth on the mic of Hitting the Streets podcast show. And today we are doing the story of George Hughes and the Sherman Riot of 1930. I have a wonderful, wonderful panel here tonight. And I am going to introduce my guests. So actually, they're going to introduce themselves. So we're going to start over here to the right, to the right. We have Jay Fitz in the house. What's up, everybody? It's Jay Fitz. Come holla at you, boy. <laughs> we have the wonderful and the incredible and the brilliant Matthew Crow. Oh, thanks, Shell. Good to be with you. I'm I'm happy to be in a podcast with you. This is going to be exciting. Yes, yes, it is. And then I have my sidekick over here. Now, my sidekick is Melissa Easton. And I know you guys remember her from Murder and Mayhem and the true crime stories that we did at Grayson County. And Melissa, please reintroduce yourself for me. This is Melissa, and I'm happy, I'm happy to join you again yes, on the podcast. Yes, and she has her beautiful and amazing daughter here. Anika, please introduce yourself. Hey, everybody. It's Anika. Yes. Okay, guys, so there's our panel, and we're just going to we're gonna dive right on in. I am going to pass the mic over to Melissa. She is the one that has done a lot of this research of the story of George Hughes and um, the Sherman riots of 1930. Her information and her resources came from the Sherman Public Library. So, Melissa, take it away. Okay, we were going to start with a little bit of background of of um, racial tension here. Um, you know, people talk about uh, the courthouse burning as if it was a one-time thing. But there were racial tensions long before that, um, especially in the South, um, all over the South. Um, so... I'm going to start with this letter. Um, it was written to the president of the United States in uh, by quite a few people, black people from Sherman. And this would have been in 1876 and 77. One of the uh, it's from a book of documents from that time period. Um, it's we, the colored citizens of Sherman County of Grayson, state of Texas. We do most earnestly appeal to the government for protection against violence on the part of the democratic white people of the state. Prejudice is becoming so strong against the colored people that they can't exercise the privilege of a free people. If a colored man attempts to travel on the highway and preach the gospel, he is liable to be murdered at any time without provocation or cause on his part. For instance, Professor Gillard, a colored minister, was murdered without cause on his part. More than that, he was a minister of the gospel and an educated man. And, sorry, I can't read it. <laughs> and uh, calculated to teach our people, which our democratic friend can't or won't stand where they have power to prevent. Another instance, Professor Ball was aside, was made an attempt upon uh, to be murdered while lecturing at Bryant. We therefore ask protection from the general government, and if it denies us protection, we have no re uh, recourse to apply to. 
So, and it says serve within the name citizens are all colored, industrious, peaceable, and true to the cause of human rights. This times, the times here are such that immediate help must be had or more blood will be shed from those innocent people. Again, we beg your immediate attention to this most important subject. Very respectfully, W.H. Irving, M.D. of Sherman. And it looks like there are probably 30 to 40 people um, who signed this document as well. So if I'm not mistaken, you and I talked about this letter. The president at that time was Grover Cleveland, if I'm not mistaken, correct? I think that's who we look when we looked this up. It was Grover. It was Grover Cleveland, I believe, that was the president that he wrote this this letter to um, pleading with the president, saying that we needed help that there was a lot of things that were going on here in Sherman, Texas and the murders and stuff. And I wanted Melissa to read that letter to show that it wasn't just a George Hughes story too. It was a lot of things that were going on here in Sherman, Texas, that was happening with the black people, African-Americans. Right. So when, if you think back to our murder and mayhem stories that we talked about yes. last year, um, there were several cases that just in that short amount of time that we're, there were black people who were accused, a black man accused of killing a white woman. Mm -hmm. And in all of those cases, they did not result in riots. But in all of the cases, I don't think we thought that they seemed guilty. Mm -hmm. And uh, in one of the cases, um, uh, he was sentenced to uh, death. But mm -hmm. then after 10 year trials, 10 years. 10 years of these trials going on and on, he was life in prison instead of being Correct. killed for And that was the Ira Taylor murder, yeah, if you was, guys remember. Yeah, that yeah. was 1899. So. so Melissa here really quick. We talked about this too as well. Give us a timeline. We we want to kind of give you guys a timeline. I think you made notes about that so you guys can understand what era that we're in. Okay, so the Civil War would have been 1861 to 1865. And so I think I was saying that the, um, um, you know, the, proc uh, the uh, Juneteenth, is actually 1865. Oh, okay. I said the, oh, the Emancipation Proclamation. And Emancipation yeah, yeah. Proclamation yeah, yeah, yeah. was 1865. Well, wait a minute, though. So you're saying 1865. So on June 19, 1865 is when the Texas slaves found out about the Emancipation Proclamation. So, and that's, I'm just going to, I'm going to step in really quick. A lot of people always ask, why do we celebrate June 19th? That is why. Mm -hmm. Because that is when the slaves in Texas found out about the about being free. Um, 1863 is when it was the Emancipation Proclamation. I just remember it was two years after the Emancipation Proclamation is when mm -hmm. the Texas slaves in, 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 in Texas found out that they were free. So that was a really good tidbit to bring up about June 19th. And so um, there were racial tensions for a long time here before that. Um, the uh, Klan, the Ku Klux Klan showed up around 1921 officially. Mm -hmm. um, there was um, someone came to speak here who was representative for the Klan um, at the courthouse steps and um, there was said to be about 8,000 people that attended that from area. And so here, that, yes. Mm -hmm. And that's when the Klan became really active in Sherman was around that time. Wow. So the 20s were leading up, you know, so that kind of leads us to our event. So mm -hmm. we're looking at um, a rise in a view of white supremacy too. Mm -hmm. So, well, I think you told me the 1929 to 1933, um, that was the great depression. Correct. Yeah. So it was a hard time for a lot of people. And um, so it probably, you know, our, our black community, I'm sure was struggling with that as well, but we did have a pretty, 
pretty good sized successful black community here. And uh, so we had uh, our black uh, Wall Street or whatever you know you'd call it. Yeah, we had uh, black owned business here on for uh, Mulberry. Yeah, Mulberry near Walnut, um, going back towards like uh, what is that? Rockets. Okay. I think it, but anyway, back behind those, back yeah, behind the library, yeah, going, really. Yeah, going back that direction on Mulberry. Um, so there were quite a few Black-owned businesses. We had um, several physicians here, a dentist, a pharmacist. Um, there was a, um, a event center that held about 300 people where celebrations were held for, oh, wow. like, for different events. Um, and so it was a pretty good size, size community. And there was one, uh, one Black physician that was successful that was in the white area. And that would be Dr. Prince. And his business was not burned in, in the courthouse burning. And he was actually right over by the courthouse. Wow. Okay. And, and so he, um, I think he passed away in 1932 or 33 from an illness, but he was the oldest practicing physician here in Sherman at that That's time. So. And, and just another little tidbit here to something that you had mentioned to me. Sherman's population back then was 16,000 people. 2,000 of those people were African-Americans with Black people in that time. That mm-hmm. sounds right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but, um, and um, of course, um, something else I was going to mention is the, uh, talking about um, the, the majority of, you know, we're going to talk about uh, the lynching here. Sure. Um, sure and that the South is really where that was a problem. I mean, we had Texas, Mississippi, Louisiana, Arkansas, and Florida that lead in number of lynchings. Okay. Wow. So. Oh yeah. (laughs) Yeah. It was, it was a, it was a trend Mm. going around. Yeah. And Mm -hmm. Sherman, it was, it was, it liked to be known. We were kind of, we were called like the, the Athens of Texas because we had lots of, um, you know, we had lots of um, higher education mm. and, and even as far as black schools, we had a good number. We had um, more, you know, as far as more teachers in a better black school than a lot of other places did at the time. Mm-hmm. But um, we also had Southern values. There was a constant re looking back at Confederate values it, it, that, that um, bringing that up again and again, um, so I didn't realize the old settlers association, I always was like, well, you know, it was a nice group that, that, you know, wanted to, you know, these are the founders of Sherman. They want to, but reading back through it, they were actually people that were like, want to reminisce about the Confederacy and about, mm-hmm. uh, and so these were years after the Confederate, you know, I mean, after, after the civil war, oh, these wow. people were still getting together to to celebrate it sounds like so. what's happening right now to be honest yeah well i was gonna true. say that's still 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 south mm-hmm. it's still south, it's still south. Mm-hmm. so you know what i mean mm-hmm. south shall rise again oh right my gosh <laughs> do i have to turn your mic off hey look <laughs> <laughs> i'm trying i'm trying to get into this music so let them know that the south is gonna rise again. <laughs> y'all <laughs> okay so before we before we take our first break Really quick, let's go ahead and start with the George Hughes story. And then we're just going to start into George. George Hughes was not from here, from what I read in the book. Right. Yeah. He came here. He, so he was not known here. 
and he was hired to do field work. Someone hired him to do field work. So I'm going to let Melissa start this story and then we're going to take a quick break and then we're going to come back to this story and then we're going to have some questions. So. All right. Um, George Hughes, like she said, uh, he's about 41 years old. He was a field worker. Uh, he didn't know a lot of people around here. He was fairly new to the area. Um, and he was working for a guy named Drew Farlow, and that's at his farm that was just on the outskirts of Sherman. I think it's at southeast of Sherman by about five miles. Um, he had been working for him for about two weeks, and um, he owed him money from, from his work. And so uh, George Hughes, where we start is he, he's going to his farm to get his $6 in wages that he's owed. $6. Mm -hmm. Wow. $6. Yeah. <laughs> and so um, yeah. Drew is not home. His wife, Pearlie, who's 28, and his son, Robert, who is five, are there alone. And so um, Pearlie tells him that she's that her husband is not home, that he's going to have to come back. You know, he's not there to give him the money. And, and um, so he's supposed to have come back later armed with a gun. Which, and so, okay. Here's my thought on that. He came back with a gun. What prompt him to do that? I, because we are living in the South and he came back to a white man's house with a gun and his wife and son there. So that question is That's a bold move, isn't it? That is. Yeah. yeah. So I will say this, according to the book that you gave me to, to read, mm -hmm. a lot of people in the community said that he was half wit, which yeah. meaning that he was not all there and that he had spells, mm -hmm. which, you know, people back could've in those days, seizures, it could be yeah. a lot of, yeah. Mental illness. Yeah. But people back in those times, they used the word spells, spells or seizures and stuff like that. So I'm just wondering what possessed him to come back to that house with a gun. But anyways, go ahead. Yeah. And he had a common law wife. Um, and they said that they interviewed her afterwards and that he said he that his that uh, Drew's wife, Pearlie, was was a pretty woman or something like that. Or, you know, he was, he was saying complimenting her and that he was going to come back to, you know, like making it sound like he was telling his common law wife, he was going to rape this woman, which seems pretty strange. So I don't know if that was something in the questioning or if, um, and that was according to Hamer's, you know, like the one that you, sure, that you read as well. And that's another thing too. So what common law wife or not wife, what, why would she say something like that? I don't know. Yeah. It does make you wonder. To me, it seems just a little fraudulent. People who say who say things like that, to me, is trying to make something of it. Mm -hmm. And usually, I, even I have been, uh, at one point in time in my life, uh, at a young age, uh, you know, it was, I was like 18, 19 years old, which a lot of things happened at this, uh, during these two years of my life, where I hung around with, you know, some of my white friends and, uh, you know, or, uh, dated, you know, uh, uh, a white woman before. And, uh, you know, their, their parents were like saying this stuff about me that I would be one of these guys out here. That's just trying to, you know, just to make something of it. And I'm like, I don't know where they got that logic from. Cause I never, I've never exposed that or showed that to, uh, to anything. I've always been courteous and, and, and respectful in their home. 
but that's that's just something that they were probably either raised and taught from and, and you know a lot of people who are scared or have a lot of fear in their heart or hatred in their heart they'll say they'll say whatever they can to make the other person look bad i was gonna say um a lot of it is coming down from generation to generation mm -hmm. right for sure you know, um, so my mom was born in 1938. And so when she grew up and went to high school, obviously she was in the 50s and the 60s. You know, and my mom had to step off the sidewalk to let a white man pass. Yep. But my mom didn't raise me that way. And I didn't raise Jordan that way with that mindset of being prejudiced or having any type of being racist of any other color, you know. But my mom did. My mom's Mexican-American. She had to live on the black side of town. Mm -hmm. She was not allowed to go live on the white side of town. Right. Here, nope. And she lived in this area. Mm -hmm. So I think a lot of it, what we're reading and what we're talking about, is just passed on from generation to generation. Unfortunately, that's just what it is. Even yeah. They even say that it's uh, encoded in our DNA now because of this passing through each time. You know, it, it rewires your brain. It rewires your cells. Um, uh, for me, I was I studied on it a, long, uh, a while back, and uh, scientifically, um, being negative, period, mm. and having hatred in your and heart. hatred in your heart, restructure your cells. It, and, and if you pass it down, you keep passing it down, piece down. Then yes, you're you're bringing it on to to the next generation. That yeah. DNA goes. Yep. Go ahead, Melissa. Okay, and. So supposedly he he uh, forced his way into the house and tied the wife up with a cord in the bedroom in her bedroom to her bed and then raped her while her child was there and the child ran off. And so um, but then after he was finished, he ran he left her tied up and ran after to look for the child, which, again, I couldn't. Uh, you know, there's no rhyme, no reason. Yeah. Yeah. And so she ran to the neighbors and reported it to the neighbor who then called the sheriff and the sheriff sent an officer to investigate. Now, you know, the, reading Hamer's and then reading other accounts, there is a little bit of difference as far as the order of things that, you know, like ha who told who at that point. Um, so they send uh, this officer and he picks up a, one of the neighbors and they go looking for George. And he is found running through a field carrying a gun and then fires at them and hits their window a couple of times. So at that point, they do go ahead and arrest him and, and uh, take him in. And supposedly he did say that he was guilty. I mean, he confessed by, by their accounts. Um, and so... Uh, when they took him in, um, there were already rumors pretty immediately, uh, you know, pretty, pretty immediate that, um, that he had raped her and that uh, he had mutilated her, which he didn't. And then there was also yeah, uh, that he gave her a disease, which, I mean, within a few <laughs> minutes, I mean, that's, that's pretty scientifically that's, pretty. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> you know. I was going to say, um, I know I read the part about when I read this book about the mutilation part and wasn't that found not true? Yeah. Yeah. That was not true. But is if you read onto the trial, you did read that she came to the trial on a stretcher in an ambulance. That's some theatrics there. But yet yeah. she ran to the neighbor's house right, to right. report it. Yeah. So 
Yeah. So it's yeah, it was a definitely a theatrical event. So. I, if I was that, if I was a detective, that when none of that makes sense to me. I, okay, but hold on, pause for one second. But let's real quick because we're going to take a break. So pause your story just a second. But just listen to the facts here. Mm, I'm listening. So take out the South, take out all what we're what we're here for, mm-hmm. and just listen to the facts. No, first, that's, that's all I was listening. For. First fact, he went to the house with a gun. For six dollars, first fact. So let me bring you to now. I don't even let think me, he had the gun. Let me bring you to now. <laughs> if your supervisor owe you money, mm-hmm. your wages, mm-hmm. are you gonna go up there with a gun? Okay, I'm leaving. <laughs> it's just yeah, you quitting. You quit. So that's one thing. But back and then, then not, back then though, quitting quitters was there was no such thing as quitting. I mean, I know, yeah. and and we're in in the depression, so sure. I understand. Yeah. I understand. Which yeah, number a lot two, of, lot of number two, yeah. he went. He went back knowing that she was there by herself with her son. And majority of the time back in those days, as a black man, you knew better. Yeah. But he went back, right? And then he raped her while the son was there. And then he went to chase the son. I'm just, I'm going, I'm basically everything. I know. What we I'm, just, I'm just saying, just it just doesn't sound, it just doesn't sound of someone of that caliber at that time. If you just came there just to get your money and go, then there is no reason for you to even bring a gun or to bring anything. If he came back just to ask for that same thing and he's still not there, he, I'm pretty sure okay. he was going to be like, I got to get that out. Okay. <laughs> and then the last thing, he pleaded guilty. He said he did it. Well, anybody pleads guilty if they're going to keep keep badgering you with it. I mean, we have tons of people who are innocent in jail right now. People of color who is innocent right now. I mean, innocent. And they've said we did it because they told us to. Just I'm misstating facts. So so 30 okay. years down the line, they come and find out, oh, they were innocent the whole yeah. time. And then they give them reparations on that, which don't mean a hell of beans because you lost 30 years of your life. Mm-hmm. Well, I think I think the other thing is this is and I know we'll get to this. This is not this is late. All, this is late in lynching. Like lynching yeah. has yeah. been happening and particularly around uh, black men touching white women. Mm-hmm. So this was not new. Mm-mm. And so, you know, when we think about pleading guilty probably in the back of the mind, we'll talk about terrorism here probably later, mm-hmm. is it's probably ingrained, hey, look, everybody that said they, they haven't been, I'm not guilty, that hasn't worked out for them, mm-hmm. right? So you I mean, think about these things about coercion, mm-hmm. um, but this was not, this was not new. This was late in the lynching. I mean, so he's, he's, he's got to know that. There's, there's got to be some kind of something ingrained with him going, wow, this is not a good situation. For I'm, me. I'm pretty yeah. sure he was like, I'm going to die anyway. Yeah. yeah. There's, there's, I have no choice in this. There's nothing to win out of this. There's no gain out of this. If it'd be a miracle, God, God's going to have to keep, just going to have to keep me from that. Yeah. If, 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 if it's so, if not, then it's whatever mm-hmm. is meant to be is meant to be. A lot of the, a lot of them have that mindset. There was always, there was always two types of those kind of people. You had the ones that are going to die with their ancestors off that ship. Or you're going to have the ones that's going to stay. So you have those two options. Most people are going to go with one of those two options, well, especially it, at that time. Right. And so think about his option was I, I throw myself at the mercy of the justice system mm-hmm. or to the mob. Because if I say not guilty, the mob is coming after, after me. After me. Right. Yeah. yeah. If I say I'm guilty, at least I got a shot, shot. maybe. Right. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. yeah. Protect me. Right. Hopefully. Right. Hopefully. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, guys, we're going to take a quick break and then we're going to come back to finish the story. And then we have more, we have more questions, Melissa. And then I've got some things too. And I'm pretty sure everybody wants to take their piece about this. So we'll be back guys.
If you would like more information on the Sherman riot of 1930 and the George Hughes story, please follow the Facebook page historical marker for the 1930 Sherman riot. Melissa Teal, a local historian and a graduate from TWU, is working toward getting a historical marker for this tragic event in Sherman, Texas. You can also find more information at the Sherman Public Library. Because of the Roaring Twenties. Yeah. I mean, Dorothy we're back, Dandridge, y'all. you know, all of them, these were when they were right we're having her, conversations. You know, at that time was getting up. But, you know, it, it's so much, there's so much to it that I could that, that I could explain and I can only explain so much to it about it. But uh, it's like, wow, like, so here we are from here and then we come up to here. And I feel like we're still doing the same shit. Yeah. But, <laughs> but Jordan, yeah. think about this. You said, yeah. you know, you said black people were on the up and up at that time. Uh-huh. But remember, it was only what, maybe two generations before Four. Mm-hmm. where yeah. white people were making money off, off of free labor. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. By enslavement. Right. Mm-hmm. So right. just, I mean, think about that. Think about, and you, you can see that. I mean, we, and this is the history, right? You sure. see this history of mm-hmm. white people looking at black people going, no, you're mm-hmm. not going to get there yeah. Yeah. because right. you weren't right. there and we had you here. here. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. right. They don't want to be uh, underneath. Yes. Right. right. Yep. Okay, guys, we're back. And I know y'all heard part of that conversation. So we were offline for a little bit and we were talking about, you know, George Hughes and questioning why would he bring a gun for six dollars and why would he even rape a woman? So we were in that conversation and and trying to just under have a better understanding about this story. So I'm going to turn the mic back over to Melissa and she's going to kind of tell us a few more things before we get to burning down the courthouse. Okay, so they must have known that there were going to be some some um, pushback in the community or that there were going to be some problems because they actually secretly yeah. moved him to jail in McKinney uh, because they were afraid of violence. Um, they also, um, so that keep in mind that the event happened on May 3rd and they're promising a swift uh, trial date because they don't want there to be, viol- you know, they're trying to say, we're going to take care of this as quickly. We're going to get you justice as fast mm-hmm. as possible. So he was arrested on May 3rd. Yeah. It, okay. it actually happened on May 3rd and he was arrested the same day. Okay. Yeah. And so uh, May 6th, uh, they talk about a rowdy group of, uh, of people demanding the prisoner outside of the courthouse. Um, and so uh, he had already been taken to McKinney at that point, but they don't know that. And so they're just demanding that they get him. And at some point, um, I think it was uh, Sheriff Vaughn that fired the pistol in the air, you know, three times and they dispersed for a little while, but they came back drunk and rowdier. Mm -hmm. And uh, they were, and at some, it even said that they had like a uh, pole, like a, an electric pole that they oh, were like a batteram. Yeah. Like a a batteram. Mm -hmm. And then also they had, um, they had thrown something through the window mm-hmm. of the courthouse already mm-hmm. to try to break, you know, that it, they'd already broken a window as well. But, uh, um, I mean, these people came, I'm sorry. These people right. came prepared. They had right. a bat around, they had dynamite. They had a lot of things already with them knowing what they were going to do. I, I can't say that they were prepared, uh, because at that time that was just, that was around. <laughs> 
Okay. Seriously, no, they seriously. kept in their pockets. Seriously. I mean, think think about it. We just we're coming from the West into the industrial age, to the yeah. you know, to the modern age. So there's a lot of people at that time that uh just had a stick of dynamite just laying around. But also they're they're you said they were they were drunk, they came back just drunk. Yes. So it's like they're looking for a part like this is a yeah. celebration yeah. for them. Oh right? yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah, they were looking for a party. No, um, so they said this uh the leader of this group is Jeff Slim quotations around slim jones and he is a known clansman and bootlegger and he's kind of the instigator in a lot of this <laughs> and he um is demanding that they give him the prisoner and so the sheriff's saying he's not even here he's not here and he's like well i don't believe you i don't you know i want to see this myself so they actually let him and four other people i think five guys total walk around the courthouse inside i mean late late at night to make sure the prisoner's not not really there being hidden which they didn't have to at all they didn't no. have to do that but it lets you know that there is oh, yeah. that there is definitely they know there's problems already mm -hmm. so um that also shows you the influence of the clan at the time if they can get into the courthouse and actually have this you know the special look around to make sure that prisoner is not there Ooh, yeah point. yeah well also they i think they were probably scared of this crowd in some way you know like well I, yes they were scared of the crowd or they wouldn't have called the texas rangers yeah. and so yeah and they do call the texas rangers for backup um and they arrived the, the next morning after they were called which would have been may 8th so i guess they called them may 7th and they arrived the morning of may 8th and so during that time that guy slim jones he drives all over town and he's trying to get a drum up support from the farmers in the surrounding communities. He's like, you need he to be was, here. He was making a battle cry. Yeah. He's like, you need to be here to help, you know, stand up to these people. So, um, of course the Hamer, you know, Hamer and the uh, Texas Rangers are trying to guard Hughes and, uh, they actually, um, do take him, uh, get him to court to, for the initial, for the initial plea. And he does plead guilty. And then they set the court date for the next day for May 9th. Um, he is transferred back to Gainesville during that time to be held safe until the trial, which, you know, I, you may be thinking this too, them knowing that they're having all these issues with crowds standing around the courthouse. Um, why would they not have already moved the venue, right? Mm -hmm. Right. Change the venue. Mm -hmm. And Hamer does ask for it, but he doesn't ask for it until there's already, it's already going down on the night. It's already escalating yeah. too. Yeah. It's already escalating. These, so another thing that I read about this, this mob, this angry mob, they, they built so many allies. When this went down, there was like 5,000 people in our town getting ready to bum rush the courthouse. Yeah. For one man. For one black man. So a third, a third of the town is surrounding the courthouse basically at this point. Mm -hmm. You know, what's funny though, whenever I've, I've told people, you know, or we talk about this, you know, people that have studied this, a lot of people in Sherman will say it was people from surrounding communities. I've heard that it's not, it wasn't all Sherman people. It was lots of the surrounding community. And to me, that seems pretty irrelevant <laughs> at the time. I mean, I just, I'm like, well, the thing is we were the, we lived here, you know, we were the people who were here and, I mean, I don't know how they've 
decided that maybe that's a way to justify. No, justify, Sherman people would have done that. that. <laughs> it's all the surrounding. It's all the community. same. Yeah. It's all the same. I was like, it's still. It's Grayson County. It, yeah. it happened I mean, in our area. It, it so. happened, yeah. Like, it doesn't matter if it was just Sherman. It wasn't just Sherman people. Yeah, there was Bells. Yeah, there was Van Austin. Yeah, there was Dennis. Yeah. yeah, no, but all of us as a whole, we're still Grayson County. <laughs> right. People right. look at us as, as town folks. We're just farmers in most city folks. Mm-hmm. So we're <laughs> yeah. still, that's, I mean, I'm just saying yeah. like, that's, that's how they look at us mm-hmm. from the, from that end. So over here, it's like, uh, yeah, you can't justify that. No, I don't know. I wouldn't believe that at all. Okay. So we are guilty and, and where do we go from there? Because we know that, and I'm just going to speed you up just a little bit, Melissa. Okay. <laughs> no, no, no. It's okay. Cause I'm watching time. Okay. Um, we are now, so how did we get George into the vault? Okay, so um, they bring him from Gainesville back to Sherman and try to get him into the courthouse. So he's he's actually made it into the courthouse. And there are the people who are supposed to be there, are there. But there are also still lots and lots of hecklers around. And they force themselves inside of the courthouse. So there are people all on the stairs. There's people all outside the doors. And it says that there was so much noise that they couldn't really even hear what was going on. Does that sound familiar? Right. I know. And so we... Uh, we talk about also the, you know, we mentioned Pearly being mm-hmm. transported in a uh, ambulance in a stretcher. Mm-hmm. And uh, so he even, um, so he had a um, lawyer who was a court appointed lawyer who actually didn't even ask the jurors any questions or anything. He didn't make any requests of the jury, you know, like like you normally would. So he just has the court appointed person whose name was also George, but I think it's George High. Anyway. Um, so um, let's see. Let's see where we are. And well, I, I, let me see this while you're looking for her to arrive in an ambulance. Okay. So she showed up on a stretcher in an ambulance to the court, but she ran for her life at the name to the neighbor's house to, to turn him in, to get him in. Right. So how did she wind up being in the ambulance transported to the court in an ambulance on the stretcher? Just, what, just and, saying. Yeah. And one of the other things that I thought was strange is one of the nights of the, you know, that they had the chaos and the people, um, you know, protesting at their courthouse or their, you know, um, they, her family actually came like her father and some family members mm-hmm. came and said, you guys need to go home. You guys. So they tried to calm the crowd, but it seems like she was doing the opposite. Mm-hmm. Ah, she was trying to stir up stuff. So gotcha. now, you know, it just makes you wonder why would they, you know, they, they went in opposite direction than sure. she did. Sure. But yeah, and so basically the crowd just became uncontrollable mm-hmm. and they tried to back the people up off the stairs. They even like the uh, the rangers were there and then the National Guard were called in. Um, and so they threw tear gas down the staircases to try to get the crowd dispersed. And that worked for a little while, but then they just kind of start coming back anyway. Um, at some point they decided to go ahead and evacuate the whole courthouse Um and, uh, you know, because at that point people were throwing things and breaking windows. Mm-hmm. Um, they said there were some young men that threw like, uh, like teenagers, I guess is what they were, you know, they were saying, uh, teens or something along those lines and that threw, um, uh, things that were supposed to be explosives, they didn't work. And then they threw a can of like gasoline inside and mm-hmm. that's when the fire actually started. Okay. And- so 
how did we get to, like I said, George getting to that? What possessed them or made them decide to put him in the vault? Did they put him in the vault for safekeeping? Supposedly they had put him there for safekeeping. And you know, I did read that they, that there were a couple of officers that asked him if he wanted to go and he was afraid he would be killed if he came out of there, which, mm-hmm. I mean, I could see, Understandable. I could. And so, um, but then later on they were, after the fire was really roaring, they said that they couldn't get to him because they had to go down the stairs to get him out. <coughs> mm-hmm. And so, um, the, the really strange part of this is even like while uh, like the National Guard was coming and everything, they were hurling bricks at them. And, and like the crowd was trying to attack the police and the Texas Rangers, the National Guard. Um, they were, you know, throwing things at them. And they said even like a little soda fountain place, like the lady was giving them cups who work there, you know, to throw. Mm-hmm. And so, um, you know, and they were spitting and you know and all that trying to be they was they were called out they were called out names because they were protecting him Mm -hmm. um there were the fire department yep the fire department came with ladders to try to evacuate the people off the second floor to get them out of the building and they wouldn't let them through right no and they cut their the the hoses they were to cut their hoses cutting all the hoses Hoses. so they didn't want them to get the fire out right and uh, they were still demanding to have him, and and to and to fast forward real really quick because I'm and once again, guys, I apologize, but we're watching on time. It came down to them bum rushing the mob, bump, the mob bum rushing the Rangers mm-hmm. because Frank uh, Hamer. Hamer stated he was very disappointed not only with that situation within himself because he didn't protect like he was mm. sworn to do right. because it was that out of control. And they got in and then they brought somebody in to break into that vault. Mm-hmm. And so they kept trying to use explosives to get into the vault. The crowds did. And they finally were successful and they pulled him out and his body was limp. Because at that point, um, if you look at his death certificate, he, he was died. suffocated. Yeah, yeah, he, yeah. suffocated. He, he died from, yeah, from suffocation. And so, um, and then they uh, attached a chain to him mm-hmm. and dragged him behind a car. And so he was already dead. And people, as they dragged him by, they said he, he looked like he was bouncing along behind the car and people were still spitting on him and throwing things mm-hmm. at him. I mean, that's a lot of anger. <laughs> that's yeah. just not to mention something. that, but they also did not. They went through the district, the black owned district, as well as oh, their yeah. neighborhoods, neighborhoods with, yeah. the body, with the body on tow. Which just to prove the oh, point. So they were par- there was a parade. It was a parade at this yeah. point. It was a parade. Uh-huh. Right. Oh. And yeah. so, um, and then he was dragged to the black business district and hung from a tree there, mm. um, where they set him on fire and, and they and, mutilated his body. Yeah. Well, and people were pulling scraps of whatever they could get mm-hmm. as souvenirs yep. Yeah. and like trying to pull pieces of his clothing or pull, pull sick. pieces yeah. of his body. Sickest. And, um, and they yeah. broke through that said that they broke to the farm, you know, they had the the little shop down there. And so they were handing out free stuff from out of the stores before they burned it. And by then the black community, people in the black community were trying to get out during these days. Because well, well they, they, they took him and they drag him drag. I mean, let's, let's just think about this. Mm-hmm. You guys, mm-hmm. if you were there, it, it, they took him and they dragged him through, not only through the neighborhoods, through the black owned businesses, mm-hmm. then they looted and, and, and rioted there 
broke into the black businesses stores and took everything. Yeah. Right. So and and the reason why I'm saying that is because now there's certain situations that have happened in 2020 and 2019 of the riots and looting and a lot of people don't understand that. Now I'm not sit here and say I don't con- I don't condone that, but it has even happened in the past. Yeah. Even in our own right. town to the black own businesses. Right. That happened a lot of times. Right. The, I mean, the LA riots. The, yeah. This this has happened on and on and on and on over and over and over again. But just listen to this story. They drug this man down the street with a chain to a black community and a black owned business business to show what? What are they showing here? Well, not only that, but he was already dead once and they he, had And he was already him. dead. Yeah. yeah. He was already dead. Prior to being and they down. mutilated his body. They cut things off his body. They they the the message was clear. Yeah. Get out. Yeah, you're not welcome here. Right. That's yeah. And for the most part it worked. I mean, a lot of people uh left town during that time. I mean, yeah. Makes sense. It would be a yeah, scary time to be them. here. Mm-hmm. It would be. Okay, guys. So that is the story of George Hughes and the Sherman Sherman riots. What I, I, I know there's we have to keep this short, but um if you'd like to know more about the research that we have, please you can please go to the Sherman Public Library here and 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 Melissa there can help you out. There's a lot of information more that we could go over, but we're short on time. And I do want to do a quick round table of the panel that I have here about this story. Also, you can also go to Facebook and I think I mentioned this before. It's called the Historical Marker of Sherman Riot of 1930. There's a page that's there that you guys can follow. Melissa Teal is, um, she owns that page and she is sharing a lot of information in regards to that, um, to the Sherman riots. Um, What she's trying to do is um, get a historical marker here for us, for that, for 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 the Sherman riots, for what happened. She's lived in Grayson County all her life. Um, and I'm just going to read a little bit that I found out about Melissa today. She got her undergraduate degree in history from TWU. Nice. And she went on to get her master's in history in TWU in 2019. So she's a, like Melissa, she's a history enthusiast. And um, she feels like getting a Texas historical marker for the lynching of George Hughes and the riot of, of, of of the Sherman riot was something that she has been wanting to do for a couple of years. Um, Her motivation comes from after the murder of George Floyd. And she felt like this was a time in part of our history. It was a tragic time and it's part of our history that needs to be recognized and not swept under the rug. So same thing goes for me really quick. And then I'm going to, I'm going to pass the mic. George Floyd, and I know you guys saw the video last year when I came on, it upset me to see that on camera, on video. And it really upset me because I put my son there. I have one and only son. And if I ever saw that, somebody videotaping him of being killed like that, and not helping, my heart goes out to the mothers and the fathers who have lost their children, especially through police brutality. 
and the protesting and everything that has happened between now and then, it's for a cause. Black Lives Matter is for a cause. The protest that even happened here in my town, I walked and did it for the cause. I don't want a badge of honor. I don't want to be recognized as this individual that stepped up. I did it for my son, for my granddaughters, for my mother who, who was a part of this back in the days. I initiated this long time ago because I wanted, I wanted this to be heard. This story does need to be shared. It happened in our own town. We do need a, a historical marker about this because it has affected all of us. So it's very important to me and close to my heart. So thank you, Melissa, for coming together and collaborating with me and bringing this story to light. I, I, you have no idea how much I appreciate that. And I want to thank Melissa Teal too for stepping up and trying her best to get this historical marker for this, for this tragic event. Okay. So about this story, I'm going to pass the mic over to Jay Fitz. What are your thoughts on all of this? My thoughts are this. Hate is hate. If you have that much hate in your heart to do something to one person, then why are you here? I feel like uh, humanly, we're here to, to take care of ourselves take care of each other, as well as also take care of our home, which is this planet. We're all just roommates sharing a space. We have nowhere to go. And for everyone who wants to be demeaning because of your color or because of something that makes you different, to me, it's, it's irrelevant. It's relevant. It, 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 doesn't, it, doesn't, it doesn't do anything. There's nothing to grow from. There's nothing positive about it. There's nothing to learn from. All you're doing is just <laughs> making a, a, a mountain out of a molehill. I personally have experienced this in, in, in Grayson County. This is not the only time. I was 19, 20 years old that I had to deal with certain issues because of the car that I, drew, uh, that I drove was a, a Nova uh, 79 Nova and it was you know it was a hot ride. I got stopped so many times because a lot of policemen, especially white male policemen in certain towns like Pottsboro, Whitesboro, and Tyler, Texas, or or Cannon, have asked me that I steal it. There's plenty of times that I've had officers look at me in indirectly the wrong kind of way. Um I've even been held at gunpoint by five officers here in Sherman, Texas, uh, just going, just walking to my grandmother's house. Uh, the feeling to know that I can be discriminated at any point in time as a criminal, just for my skin tone, um, have led me to believe that there's something more afoot. And, and to me, it starts at home. People around here have been taught and raised this at home. Hate was in their heart from the very beginning. And to me, I'm just like, why? When there's so much love here, when we can do so much more here, if we all just work to fucking gather, it, we could do, we could, we can build that, that future that we all talk about. But, uh, but 
I'm just, just going to say is that my thoughts on this whole thing from George to, to George, from George to George, um, here consciously as a whole, we, we really need to get it together or we're going to destroy ourselves and there'll be nothing left. That was great. Jay Fitz. Thank you so much. I appreciate that. Um, I'm going to turn the mic over to Anika. Anika, how do you feel, you know, about this story? What are your thoughts? So this story in particular makes me pretty sick personally. Um, just to think about just to be able to go through, you can go to this area in town these days, you know, nowadays and go stand. And of course, none of that stuff's there anymore, but to think that that happened in your town is just awful. And what I, what I usually, when I think about what happened in 1930 and think about the, again, that the comparison from George to George now and the Black Lives Matter protests, some people tried to argue that these protests were in fact riots and that these were in fact mobs. But I do want to make a comment that though there were businesses that were being, you know, looted and that were affected during the protest of George Floyd, the protests of George Floyd did not exist to take out those businesses in particular, whereas the riot of 1930s was specifically a crime against black people as a whole. I don't think it was really about George Hughes. It was about just tensions in this area building. Mm -hmm. Yes. And mm -hmm. the Ku Klux Klan and people who thought like this mm -hmm. pushing them out. Mm -hmm. And so I just really like to take a moment to just see the difference between what a protest is and what a riot, because what happened in 1930 was definitely a riot, Correct. definitely a mob mentality. We were talking about bricks. We were talking about all kinds dynamite. of things. Yep, dynamite yep. being thrown a in. A banaram to try and to break taking in. a body. Mm -hmm. after, after burning his body, we're talking... He is already suffocated. He's charred. They made a point to take his body out and to make an example of him to and that. And mutilated him. Yeah, and mutilated at that. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. I... Uh, yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> it's a lot to take in. That's intense. Oh, yeah. yeah. Matthew, what are your thoughts on this? Uh, it's complicated, right? It's, uh, it's a hard story for all of us to listen to, right? For some, for the same reasons but some for different, right? So from my, my, my point of view, my opinion, it's, wow, how, how could this happen to a human being? But also how, how could there have been a heritage where that's okay to begin with? Right. 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 And then, and then you kind of think about, well, why isn't the story out there more? What am I, what mm -hmm. is it relevant today? And I think one of the easy things for us to do is to say, well, that was 90 years ago, oh, God. right? Like, yeah. oh, that's, that, that was them. It was them. None, none yeah. of that is, you know, uh, none of that is in, in play. And, and it doesn't take long to think, you know, we haven't mentioned but James Byrd in Jasper, yeah. Texas oh, yeah. was effectively yes. lynched in yeah. 1998. Right. Oh my gosh. Mm -hmm. That's right. right. Ahmaud Arbery, right. Yeah. Was effectively lynched for walking, walking through and you know how many times that you, we do not, we live in the same neighborhood. Correct. And, and one little neighborhood over is brand new mm -hmm. and they had construction going on for the last, you mm -hmm. know, five years. And on, on nightly walks, my wife and I walk through construction houses just to see what, Hey, look, this house is two story. It's one story, whatever. Yeah. Never thought at all, you know, that there's any implication behind that. Yeah. So it, it still happens today. Mm -hmm. It might be a different format, 
it, but it still happens still a day. Happens. And so my thought is how do we get to the point where the defenses come down on a story like this? And we say, why does this story matter? And does it happen a day? And what do we do about it? Yes, I totally agree with that. You know, it's funny, Matthew's right. We both live in the same neighborhood. And if that was me walking through a construction house, what do you think will happen? Yeah. Yeah. You know what? I could have been there the day before. And yeah, it's mm-hmm. a, it's a, just a different, we're living in a different story. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So Melissa, I'm going to have you wrap this up. I know you have a little bit more details and guys, we're going to wrap this up. This is part one um, that we're doing. Part two, we're going to come back and we're going to have a discussion. We've got some questions and what we're going to do is bring it into now today. Um, one of the things that I have on the agenda for part two is to hopefully explain Black Lives Matter. And the reason why I want to do that is because I hear a lot of people say all lives matter. And I'm going to, and I'm going to say this on record. I'm going on record for this. I've been guilty of that too, but I want to take a step back and talk about that. I want to take a step back and talk about diversity. I want to take a step back and find out you know, what was, how was you raised? Did your parents go through this? How did you talk about races when you were growing up? You know, so we're going to dive in on part two, a little bit of that. And then we're going to talk about solutions. What can we do now within our own community to, to have conversations about racism, how to respond instead of react? How can we be more proactive What do we need to do to make change? And how do we heal from the Sherman riots of 1930 and George Hughes? All right, Melissa, you got the mic. Okay, I wanted to bring up one other thing. Um, The buildings, uh, the black business owned, uh, black businesses that were burned here, um, they had insurance on those buildings, but insurance did not cover anything because it does not cover riots. It does not cover... Mm. Uh, being burned uh, on purpose. And so while the courthouse, we got grants and we got things to help us pay for that to be replaced, um, we did not do that for the Black Business District. Um, Also, um, just that we hear sometimes, I've I've heard quite a few people say, I'm tired of talking about race or I'm tired of this being... I think we're stirring up more trouble by just talking about it all the time. We need to let it go. But the thing is (laughs) talking about it and acknowledging it um, helps work through where it helps us uh, learn about each other and learn what we can do um, to help us get along. And so um, by putting a marker that is starting that conversation, that's acknowledging what happened. Yes. And it, it will lead to having conversations about, isn't that awful? You know, what could have caused something like that? What led up to that? And, and will help us hopefully look at solutions. Right. I so, agree. Um, and um, one of the uh, people who, whose business was burned there um, was a civil rights lawyer later on. Um, he was an attorney then in Sherman, but he ended up going to Dallas and was and worked with like Thurgood Marshall and everything. Oh, oh wow. And, wow. And his name is Durham. His last name was Durham. And um, he wrote an account of 
of the event afterwards. And he said it was really difficult because he had a lot of friends in the white community and he saw those people there burning. Mm -hmm. He said Mm -hmm. it was so difficult to, uh, to watch that and to be a part of that, but he made a real difference because he lived it here in the community. He, um, he spent the rest of his life working towards that. So if you look at our Sherman, I've I've got a post about him and he's just, um, you know, somebody that uh, made a real difference. Okay, guys, that's it for the story of George, um, George Hughes and the Sherman riots of 1930. I hope you guys come back next Sunday and we're going to do the part two where we're going to, we're just going to do a round table of questions. We'll, we'll, kind of summarize what we did here on this one on part one and then we're going to lead in with questions about where we are today Um, racism is still alive and well we've we've seen it we see it all over the media and so we're going to have little conversations about that but thank you guys for joining me uh, jay fitz matthew anika and melissa i appreciate you guys time and hopefully we'll see you back again next sunday